If you remember, before we uh, left, before this whole thing uh, happened, we were studying the book of Ephesians. And we actually ended right in Ephesians chapter number four. And we're going to just pick right back up where we left off, uh, starting up in Ephesians chapter number five. We're going to finish the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians five has a lot of, of great content in it. So we're probably going to spend uh, three weeks uh, studying the book of Ephesians, studying chapter five in the book of Ephesians. And, uh, but we're going to start right up in verse number one. And we're actually going to get through the first 17 verses tonight. Ephesians chapter 1 through 17. I want you to notice that there's a theme in this first part of Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verse 1, the Bible says this, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And really that's the theme of these 17 verses we're going to study tonight, is how to be a follower of God. But it's not just how to be a follower of God, it's how to be a follower of God as dear children. Children And what the Apostle Paul is going to deal with and what we're going to look at tonight is what it means to follow God or what it looks like to follow God when you are walking as a child of God. Now, hopefully you are a child of God, right? Hopefully you've uh, put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've called upon Christ for salvation. You are a child of God. But just because you are a child of God doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking as a child of God. And sometimes we might want to take a step back and ask ourselves, you know, am I living as a child of God? Not am I a child of God? Because to be a child of God, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But are you living as a child of God? Are you walking as a child of God? And that really is the key word. When it comes to being a follower of God, Paul emphasizes the walk of a child, the walk of a believer, how we ought to follow God as dear children. I want you to notice there in verse number two, he says this, and walk, and walk. Now, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd encourage you to grab a pen and maybe underline that word walk or circle that word walk. I want, I'm going to show you tonight how you will find this theme in these 17 verses about how we ought to walk. The walk of a Christian when they choose, when we choose to walk as children. And I want you to notice that this is a new walk. This is a different walk. Now, you're there in Ephesians 5. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would, and look at verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. In Ephesians 2, 1, he's talking about how we got saved, right? And before salvation. Notice Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says this, and you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's referring to your salvation, right? You were dead in trespasses and sins, but now you've been quickened. Notice verse 2. Wherein in time past ye, notice the word, walked. He said you used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said before you got saved... Before you got saved, and this is true of those of you that got saved as, as grown-ups, right? If you got saved as a kid, this might not be as true of you. But before you got saved, he said, you used to walk. He said, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. Whatever the world did, that's just kind of what you did. Whatever the world's philosophy was, that was your philosophy. But Paul is teaching us now that we are children of God, that we ought to walk in a new way. We ought to walk in a different way. Go to Romans chapter 6, just to show you this kind of uh, as an introduction. Romans chapter 6. And there in Ephesians, if you head backwards, you're going to go through the book of Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, 
and uh, Romans chapter number six. And do me a favor, when you get to Romans, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Romans chapter number six. And notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter six and verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Notice, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, notice these words, even so we should walk in newness of life. See, when you got saved, you say, salvation just changed my destination. That's absolutely true. But God desires for it to also change your walk, to change your lifestyle, to change the way you live, the things you do, the way you conduct yourself, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Paul is going to teach us about what the walk of a person, a believer, a Christian who is walking as a child of God, what does that look like? Now, keep your place on Romans. We're going to come right back to it. Go to the book of Ephesians, if you would, and let's delve into the passage, Ephesians chapter number five. And I'll give you the three points, and I'd encourage you to write these down, and you can write them in the margin of your Bible. You can write them on on the back of your sheet that we handed you for the songs, whatever you'd like. Number one, he tells us that a follower of God that is walking as a dear child of God, someone who is walking as the children of God, he says, first of all, notice there in verse 2, he says, and walk in love. Walk in love. What does it look like? What does it look like for a saved person to walk as a child of God? For a saved person to walk in such a way where they are living their lives like a child of God, he says what that looks like is that you're going to walk and your walk is going to be characterized by this word love. Now keep your place there. I know I'm having you move around a lot. You're there in Ephesians 5. Go to Matthew chapter 22 just real quickly. And let me just show you how this word love really should be the word that is emphasized or the characterizing word of believers. In the Bible, you'll find this theme, if you study it out, that our lives have to be surrounded and they have to be, they, they should be expressed through this word, the word love. Matthew 22, first book in the New Testament, should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 22, and look at verse number 35. Matthew 22 and verse 35, the Bible says this, then one of them, which was a lawyer, and this was, of course, a religious lawyer and for the children of Israel. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, now the him there is Jesus, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So they asked Jesus this question. What's the great commandment? He said, there's lots of commandments in the Bible. What's the big one? What's the great one? What's the best one? Is it thou shalt not kill? Is it thou shalt not steal? Is it thou shalt not commit adultery? I mean, which one is the best one? And this is really a trick trying to get Jesus to say, well, I think the best one is X. And then they're going to say, well, what about Y and Z? You know, how can you choose one over the other? And they're trying to really have him dissect Scripture and say, well, this portion of Scripture is more important than another portion of Scripture. And notice how Jesus answers the question, verse 36. The Bible says this, Master, which is a great uh, commandment in the law, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love. He said, you, you know what the greatest commandment is? He says, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he says this, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt, notice the word again, love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says, On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. He says, If you can figure out how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and how to love your neighbor as yourself, he said, You don't have to worry about thou shalt not kill. You're not going to kill your neighbor if you love him. 
He says, you have to worry about that shall not steal. You have to worry about not coveting. You don't have to worry about committing adultery. You don't have to worry about these things if you learn to love. So the Apostle Paul says, when it comes to being a child of God, when it comes to walking with God, our walk should be in love. Now go to John, just real quickly, you're there in Matthew. Just flip over to the last gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter number 13 And look at verse number 35. John chapter 13 and verse 35. Notice what Jesus said about, now we're talking about what it looks like to be a child of God. In John 13, Jesus talks about what it looks like to be a disciple. And I would submit to you that that really those things ought to be the same thing. Every child of God should be a disciple. Not, Not every child of God is a disciple, but every child of God should be a disciple. And your goal ought to be to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 13, look at verse 35. Notice what Jesus said. By this... By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Now, if you were going to finish that verse, and if I were going to finish that verse, we might finish that verse differently than how Jesus finished it. You and I might say, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And if we were to ask you, well, what's this? You know, you might say, well, that's church attendance. And, I, and I'm all for church attendance, Right? Uh, I'm all for you coming to church. In fact, we'll hold five services just so you can come to church. I'm all uh, for church attendance. But you, you and I might say, well, it, it's going to be your clothing. By this, it, it, it's going to be the clothing, how you dress. And, and I'm all for dress standards. And we're going to talk about dress standards tonight and, and make those applications. You might say, well, it's about how much you give. By this, you know, we're going to know that you are a disciple. We might put all sorts of different things into that if we got to choose what that this is. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. You say, what is it, Jesus? How are people going to know that I am a disciple of Christ? He says, if ye have, don't miss it, love. He says, if ye have love, one to another. So you see in the Bible, that the Christian life ought to be characterized by this word love. And Paul says, look, you want to walk as a child of God? You want to be a follower uh, as a dear child of God? He says, walk in love. Now, here's the thing. Everything I've said so far, and you can go back to Ephesians if you would. Everything I've said so far, nobody would disagree with, right? Well, of course we ought to love. I mean, love, you know, of course, the Bible teaches love, the Bible teaches charity, the Bible teaches these things. Of course we ought to love. No one's going to disagree with that. But here's the question, and here's what Paul does. He begins to kind of dissect, well, what does that look like? And what does that mean? And Paul tells us, look, when it comes to love, he says, you ought to walk in love, but let me explain what that looks like. Are there Ephesians 5? Look at verse 2. He says, and walk in love. And if he would have just ended there, we'd be like, amen, praise the Lord, Paul, thank you. But he goes on to say this. He said, I want you to walk in love. And then he says, here's here's what that looks like. As Christ also hath loved us. You say, okay. All right, Paul. I'm going to walk in love as Christ also loved us. Yeah, I can do that. That sounds okay. You say, wait a minute. Notice. And hath given himself for us. Okay. Okay. Notice. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And this is what Paul is teasing out. That if we are going to live a life of love, if we're going to walk in love, then we need to realize that love does a couple of things. First of all, love sacrifices. And when you study the concept of love in the Bible, in fact, go with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. At the end of the New Testament, if you head backwards, you've got Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 3. When you study the idea and the concept of love in the Bible, 
What you'll find is this, that the word love is always connected to the idea of sacrifice. The word love is always connected to the idea of giving up something, right? I mean, think about the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, right? This verse is going to teach us how much God loved the world. God's going to show us how much he loved the world. For God so loved the world, what are the next three words? That he gave. That he sacrificed. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible. I want you to notice 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16, written by the same John, different book, very similar. 1 John 3.16, notice what the Bible says. 1 John 3.16, hereby perceive we the love of God. What does the word perceive mean? It means it can be seen. He says, hereby perceive. Here's how we see. Here's how we identify the love of God. God tells you, Paul tells you, you need to walk in love if you're going to walk as a child of God, meaning people should be able to identify love in your life. And then First John says, well, here's how love and the love of God is perceived. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He says this, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What's he saying? He's saying this, love sacrifices. And if you want to ask yourself, you want to identify, if you want to know, what, what does it look like to love? Am I properly loving my spouse? Am I loving my wife like she should be loved? Or am I loving my husband like he should be loved? Am I loving my children the way they should be loved? Or how about my neighbor? How about my fellow church member? How about my co-workers? How about other extended family? Whatever it means. If you say, well, what does love look like? Love looks like this, sacrifice. Love looks like this, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Love looks like preferring one another, uh, uh, esteeming one another, exhorting one another. See, love loses in order to make others win. Love gives in order to provide. Love is sacrifice. So if you're living a life that's selfish, that's not love. If you're living a life that's selfless, that is love. Go back to Ephesians chapter number 5. While you go there, I'll read to you Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love and honor preferring one another. See, love sacrifices. When Paul says, hey, I want you to walk as dear children of God, and you would say, well, what does that look like, Paul? And he would say, well, I want you to walk in love. You say, well, what does that mean, Paul? He would say, love sacrifices. Love gives. Love prefers. Love esteems others. Love puts others First, when God so loved, he gave, and we perceive the love of God when he laid down his life that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He says love, sacrifice. But I want you to notice the second thing. Not only does love sacrifice, but love also separates. Are you there in Ephesians 5? Look at verse 3. Now notice what he says, and it kind of seems like he's shifting gears, but he's not. He just got done in verse 2 telling us that we need to walk in love and that Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. Then he says this in verse 3, and I want you to notice the word but because the word but connects these thoughts. He says, but, he just got done saying, Jesus was a sweet-smelling savor when he sacrificed himself for us in love and we had to walk in love. Then in verse 3 he says this, but fornication. And all uncleanness or covetousness, 
He said, let it not be once named among you as becometh saint. You know, there's some things that Christians should not be known for. I mean, he says, look, there are some things you don't want to be known for. He said, there are some things that they should not even be once named among you. It shouldn't be something that you're known for. It shouldn't be something that's talked around you or talked about you. What are they? He says, fornication and all uncleanness. Or covetousness. He said, let it not be one saint among you as becometh saints. Notice verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. What is the word foolish talks about? Foolish is, the Bible says that the thought of foolishness is sin. So he says here, hey, no foolish talking. Talking about You shouldn't even be talking about sinful things. Nor jesting. What is that? When people talk about bad things, they say, oh, I'm just kidding. That's jesting. And he says, this is not something that we as believers ought to be known for. He says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, notice, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that if you walk in love, love is going to automatically separate you so that there will be some things that would not be named among you. Now notice verse 5. He, in, in verses 3 and 4, he said, Christians should not be known for these things. We should, these things should not be named among us. And then in verses 5 and 6, it says, this is what the world's known for. Look at verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon, notice the words, the children of disobedience. And I don't know if you remember, because we were studying Ephesians a while ago, but when we studied out the children of disobedience, that's unsaved people. The children whose wrath is upon them. And he says, look... Unsaved people are known for these things. They're known for being a whoremonger, for being an unclean person, for being a covetous man, for being an idolater. And he says, these things should not be things that identify us. Notice verse 7, Ephesians 5 and verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying love sacrifices and love separates. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter number 6. Look at verse number 24. Let me show, the, show this concept to you in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And uh, many years ago, I preached a sermon called Love Hates. And when I preached the sermon Love Hates, I, I went through the Bible and showed a bunch of passages in Scripture where the Bible talks about if you love the Lord, you're going to hate evil. If you love justice, you're going to hate robbery. If you love, and, and we're talking about this concept, we learned this idea that you can't love everything. In fact, those who love everything really love nothing. Because if you love certain things, it's going to automatically cause you to hate certain things. Look, if you love children, you're going to hate pedophiles. If you love flowers, you're going to hate weeds. There are things that are out with each other. And when you decide, I love one thing, then that's going to cause you to not love other things. And in the same idea, the Bible teaches that love not only causes you to hate certain things, but love will even cause you to separate from things that are maybe not even sinful. I mean, definitely the things that are sinful, because here's the idea, and the concept is this, you cannot love, you cannot love everything. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. He says, you just got to decide. Are you going to love mammon, or are you going to love God? Because you can't love both. You can't love. Because love, look, he says, you're going to love the one and hate the other. You're going to hold to the one or despise the other. He says, you, love will automatically separate you. 
Go back to Ephesians. I used this illustration uh, last night. I was, you know, I don't think it's a secret. When it comes to when it comes to sodas, when it comes to drinks, I love Coca Colas. You know, if, if you don't know that, you, you should know that. Write that down. All right. I love glass bottled. You know, the Echo in Mexico. Uh, Coca-Cola, those are my favorite, you know? Now, here's the thing. I, I really, honestly, I, I don't have anything against Pepsi-Cola, all right? I mean, it's not like I, you know, write them uh, angry emails or, you know, think bad things about them. I really don't have an issue with Pepsi-Cola. I just love Coca-Cola, and here's the truth. I can't tell you when's the last time I even purchased a Pepsi. I mean, I, I can't think of any time in, in, in my life that I've walked into a gas station and just grabbed a Pepsi, you know? I grab a Coke. And if they don't have a Coke, I grab a water, right? Or I, I just walk out angry, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, because here's the thing. My love for Coca-Cola has just separated me from Pepsi. Now, there's nothing wrong with Pepsi. It's just, it's just love not only sacrifices, but love also separates automatically. And here's what he says. He says, when you love the Lord, when you love the Lord, it ought to separate you from those things which are different from the Lord. And Jesus would say it this way. He would say this. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So Paul says this. If you want to walk as a child of God, you need to walk in love. If you're going to be a follower of God as a dear child of God, then you must learn to walk in love. And you say, well, that's great, Paul. Walking in love sounds like a real uh, great idea. What does that mean? He says, well, love sacrifices and love separates. But then there's a second thought. Go back to Ephesians 5, if you would, look at verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, he says this. He says, for ye were. And I want you to notice the word were there is past tense. In the past, not presently. For ye were sometimes darkness. That when you walked in the course of this world, he said ye were sometimes darkness. He says this, but now, present tense. Because he's talking to saved people. He says, ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Then he says this, and if you don't mind writing your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline this word or circle this word. He says, walk, walk as children of light. So Paul says, I want you to walk as a child of God. You say, what does that look like? He would say, well, I want you to walk in love. So you need to walk in love. What does love look like? He says, love sacrifices, love separates. Love sacrifices, love separates. By the way, when you get married, love ought to cause you to sacrifice for your spouse and it ought to separate you from every other potential spouse out there, right? This is what love does. Love sacrifices, love separates. Then he would say this. Paul would say, not only do you need to walk in love, but he says you need to walk in light. He says you need to walk as children of light. You say, okay, Paul, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in light? Well, notice what he says. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Notice verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. He says, when you walk in light, that light is going to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Because light proves what is acceptable and light reproves what is unacceptable. Notice verse 11. He says, and have no fellowship. Because remember, love separates you, right? 
He says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. He says, if you're going to walk in light, then you cannot have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness because light approves what is acceptable and it reproves what is unacceptable. Notice verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And listen to me, there are some things that we as Christians should not even talk about. You know, especially matters of the bedroom and matters of physical relationship. The Bible says, look, there are some things that are I've done of them in secret. He says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Notice verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest, notice, by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to walk in love. And then he says, you need to walk in light. And you're saying, well, what does that mean, Paul? And he says, here's what it means. Light uh, approves what is acceptable. It approves what is acceptable. And it reproves what is unacceptable. Go to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Jesus kind of explains this as well in the book of John. John chapter 3, look at verse 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3 and verse 19. John chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says this. John 3 and verse 19, the Bible says this. And this is the condemnation. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. Let's talk about Jesus. And men, notice, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. You ever notice that bad places are dark places? I mean, walk into a casino, it's dark, I've been told. <laughs> well, you know, walk into a bar, it's dark, I've been told, okay? You know, walk into a, a, a rock concert, it's dark. And by, and by the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church, we don't try to have this, at, this worldly atmosphere. You know, you say, well, how do I know if a church is worldly? Well, when you walk in and it's all dark, it's, it's worldly. Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds waver. Here's the thing. The building itself might be dark, but the preaching is going to be dark too. It's, they're not going to reprove there. They're not going to approve that which is good. They're not going to shine the light upon sin because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Notice verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. When people are doing wrong, they don't want to. And look, he, he's talking here uh, literally, but he, metaphorically, he's saying, when people are doing wrong, they don't want to bring that out into the light. He says, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He says, why? Because light reproves. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know what I've learned over the last 10 years of ministry? As a pastor and my wife, as a pastor's wife, we've dealt with a lot of situations and problems and, 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 and counseling and all those things. You know what we learned? It's pretty easy to figure out who's the bad one in a situation or who's the one that's done wrong. Whenever something blows up and, and we walk into the situation and say, hey, how about we just get everybody together? Let's just put everything on the table. Let's just talk about it openly. And someone's like, oh, no, no I don't want to do that. It's like, well, you're the problem. Because, look, if you got nothing to hide, right? But he that do the truth coming to the light. That's why we, we've had issues at our church where people bring, brought, you know, accuse me or accuse my wife of doing something or whatever. First, first thing we do is, let's get everybody together. Let's, just put, let's, put, let's get all, all the stories out on the table because we got nothing to hide. 
He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. And by the way, this is just a good way to live. You ought to live this way. You ought to teach your kids to live this way. You ought to live in such a way where you're just in the light. You got nothing to hide. Look, if you if you got to sneak around, if you got to whisper, if you got to, well, don't tell the boss, or don't tell mom, or don't tell dad, or don't tell my husband, or don't tell pastor, or don't tell pastor's wife. When you're living your life that way, just mark it down. You're wrong. Because men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. This is what the Bible says. And Paul says, Paul says this, you want to walk as a child of God? You want to walk in such a way that people would identify, there goes the child of God? He says, you got to walk in love. And then he says this, you got to walk in light. And light approves what is acceptable. And light reproves what is unacceptable. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 5. Paul is teaching us in these 17 verses what it looks like to walk as a child of God. Now, hopefully you are a child of God. And you may be a child of God and not be walking like a child of God, and that's fine. I mean, that's fine to the extent that, you know, at least you're going to heaven. But God wants you to walk as his child. God wants you to walk as a child of God. And when we would ask the question, and Paul's answering the question for us, he's saying, look, I want you to walk as a child of God. What does that look like? He says, well, number one, you need to walk in love. And then he says, number two, you need to walk in light. I want you to notice the third walk he gives us. Ephesians 5, look at verse 15. He says, see then that ye walk. If you don't mind writing your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that word or circle it. See then that ye walk circumspectly. What does that mean? It means with caution. On purpose, with purpose, well considered, thought out. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He says, a wise person walks circumspectly. A wise person walks cautiously. A wise person walks well considered. Go to Colossians, if you would, Colossians chapter 4. You're there in Ephesians. You're going to go past Philippians into the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. Here's point number three, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Now, let me go ahead and apologize to those of you who would even pay attention. But, you know, obviously I've gone out of the uh, out of the, the, the habit of writing expository sermons, because usually I preach expository sermons and they're all alliterated, Right? And I mean, it was walk in love, walk in light. And I promise you, I spent a long, a long time trying to figure out how to make wisdom fit into an L word, and I couldn't figure it out. So obviously, I got to get back into the habit of, of preaching expository, alliterated sermons. My wife last night, she said, you could have said walk in lots of wisdom. All right. So I guess, you know, if you want to write that down in your notes, maybe that'll help you walk in lots of wisdom. But he says, you ought to walk in love. Then he says, you ought to walk in light. And then he says this, you ought to walk in wisdom. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, he says walk in wisdom. And again, we would ask Paul and say, well, what does that mean? Because when Paul said walk in love, we said, Paul, what does that mean? And he says, Paul, Paul would say, well, I'm glad you asked because it means that you're going to sacrifice and it means that you're going to uh, separate. And then he says, I want you to walk in light. And we would say, okay, Paul, that sounds nice. What does that mean? And he says, well, I'm glad you asked because light 
approves what is acceptable and reproves what is unacceptable. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Then he says, I want you to walk in wisdom. I want you to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So we're going to ask the question, Paul, what does that mean? And he tells us in Colossians 4, he says this, because Colossians 4 and Ephesians 5 are kind of parallel passages. They deal with a lot of the similar things. And in Colossians 4 and verse 5, he says this, Walk in wisdom. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. What does that mean? Toward them that are outside. What is he referring to? I I believe this is a reference to the unsaved people in our lives. When it comes to the qualifications of a pastor, one of the qualifications, the Bible says, moreover, it, it says that we should that we should have a good testimony of them which are without, lest we fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So that without there is talking about people without the church family, with outside of Christianity, the world. He says, I want you to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Here's what he's saying. He says, if you're going to walk as a child of God, you're going to walk in love, you're going to walk in light. You're going to walk in love because your motivation is going to be the fact that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and I love my neighbor as myself. Then I'm going to walk in light, meaning I'm not hiding anything. I have nothing to hide. What I'm doing, I'm doing it openly, and we're walking in light. Then he says, I want you to walk in wisdom. And we would say, what do you mean, Paul? How? And here's what he says. He says, regarding your testimony. He says, regarding your testimony, you ought to walk in wisdom. He says, you ought to think carefully. He said, you ought to be well considered. You ought to be very cautious and very purposeful about the way you live your life. Regarding what, Paul? Regarding your testimony. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. You know that you have a testimony as a Christian? And a good testimony, the Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than silver. The Bible says that a good name is more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than silver. He says, I want you to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. He says, look, when you, the things you do, the way you dress, the places you go, he said, you ought to think about those things and you ought to realize that you are setting a testimony for those around you. Go to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. And this idea really kind of puts everything together. In, re- in regards to walking in love and walking in light. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying you ought to consider your testimony when it comes to everything which is outside of you. You know, we're getting ready to go into the summer months. And it's going to start getting hot. It's already hot out there. And, and you ladies, and, I, and I'm going to say you ladies because I hope you guys have more sense. But some of you guys, you know, you might be into those 1970s little shorts. So this might apply to you too. But, you know, you got to consider when you're, when you're wearing, when you're getting dressed for the day. You know, you say, oh, it's hot. So you decide to maybe wear less clothes. And you're showing a lot of skin. you got to ask yourself, is this the testimony that my Heavenly Father would want me to have? Is this how my Heavenly Father would want me to look? Is this, is this, and it's not just clothing, that's just an area that we can apply, but it comes to our reactions, how we react, how we talk, the things we do, the stuff we listen to, where we go. He says, look, you ought to walk in love, and you ought to walk in light. You say, how do these things connect? Notice Matthew 5 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Ye are the light, right, of the world. Because Jesus said, I'm the light, but then Jesus said, I'm leaving, and I'm leaving you as a light. Ye are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Then he says this in verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, he says, I want you to walk in wisdom toward them because you're supposed to be walking in light and your light should shine forth that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you say, well, how does that connect to love? Well, here's how it connects to love. Because the way we live our lives should be motivated by love. And this is where we make a lot of mistakes as fundamentalists. And I'm all for being an independent, fundamental, Baptist, King James only, soul winning, all that. I claim it all. I love it all. I'm for it. But you know, sometimes we make these mistakes where we begin to think that the Christian life is just following a checklist. Well, your hair's got to be a certain length. It's got to be, you know, uh, this short if you're a man and this long if you're a lady. And, and your skirt's got to be, you know, a certain length. And, 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 and make sure that it's not too tight, not too low. And you got to put a tie on. And look, and I'm all for all that. I'm not mocking any of that. I think all that is proper. But what we ought to consider is our motivation. Is your motivation just manipulation? Just, well, I better do right, I better live right, you know, uh, because I might run into one of my uh, brothers and sisters uh, from the church at Target. I don't think I've ever gone to Target where I haven't. I think I've literally ran into everybody at Verity Baptist Church at Target. Everybody loves Target, apparently. You know, and some of you multiple times, you know. But, uh, you know, you're going to run into someone. I better dress nice because I'm going to run into somebody. Well, look, I mean, there's, there's something to be said about that. But, you know, you ought to dress right because you love God. It's not, it's not this checklist of, oh, well, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to go there and I got to I better show up to the Thursday night service because they opened up the Thursday night and what are they going to think? No, you, you know, you ought to do it. Paul said this, the love of Christ constraineth me. You say, oh, we, we've had this coronavirus thing and, and now, you know, soul winning is kind of, is kind of difficult and now I got to find my own park and find my own partner and find my own this and find my own that. And look, I'm not trying to beat up on you. I'm just telling you this. If love was your motivation, you'd do it. It's easy to do things to be seen of men. It's easy to do things because we're expected to, because people are going to see us. And look, we ought to do things that men see. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Yes, we ought to walk in light, but we ought to be motivated by love. If you love me, keep my commandments. So young lady, don't dress modestly because dad tells me I have to or pastor says or whatever. You got to do it because you love the Lord. Because your motivation is God. Because if God so loved you that he gave and sacrificed for you, then you're willing to sacrifice for God. So he says you got to walk in love. You got to walk in light. Then he says you got to walk in wisdom regarding your testimony. Regarding what people think about you. You got to guard your testimony. We ought not live our lives like David. Remember David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. What did Nathan say to David? Nathan said, you have given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. Because David's testimony was important. So Paul says, Paul says, you want to walk like, you want to live like a child of God? Paul would say, I know you are a child of God, but now I'm trying to teach you how to live like a child of God. He says, here's what a child of God looks like. They walk in love. That means they sacrifice and they separate. Not because of some checklist, but because of love for the Lord. They get up and read their Bible because they love the Lord. They spend time in prayer because they love the Lord. 
They show up to church because they love the Lord. They give because they love the Lord. They go soul winning because they love the Lord. They dress a certain way. They act a certain way. They separate from certain things and they uh, 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 turn towards other things that are righteous. Why? Not, not because they have to. Not because of fundamentalism. Not because of manipulation from the pulpit. Not because of any of that. Just because we love God. Just walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Then he says this. Notice there Colossians 4 and verse 5. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. So he says, you got to walk in wisdom. You say, how, Paul? Well, regarding your testimony. And then he says, but it's not just that. you got to walk in wisdom regarding your testimony, and you got to walk in wisdom redeeming the time. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice very similar wording. Ephesians 5 and look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, the Bible says this. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Notice the words, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. What does that mean? Not wasting time. Not wasting time. I'm a, I'm a type A personality. If there's one thing that irritates me, it's wasting time. And I, I realize i got to get better at it, and I need to esteem others better than myself and all that. But he says redeeming the time. He says you got to live your life with a sense of urgency. You got to live your life in a, in a way that it's pressing, where you, you realize that I'm running out of time and I've got to redeem the time I have. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And here's what he's saying. He says, you got to live, walk in wisdom regarding your testimony. Walk in wisdom redeeming the time. You say, why does it matter? Why do I have to redeem the time? And he says, here, here, here's why. Because, he says, because the days are evil. Go to Psalm 90 if you would. Psalm 90. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalms. Psalm 90. And look, isn't it true, over the last two months, we've learned that the days truly are evil? I mean, Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the evil. He says, look, the evil of tomorrow, it's enough. You don't have to worry about the evil of tomorrow. There'll be enough evil to worry about for tomorrow. You just got to worry about the evil for today. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the, uh, uh, unto the day is the evil thereof. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And then Paul says, you got to redeem the time because the days are evil. If there's something that I learned over this last two months of dealing with this corona things, is how quickly your life can change. I mean, how quickly the whole world can just be turned upside down. How quickly everything could be uh, taken from you. And here's what I'm saying. You say, well, are you discouraged about it? Or should we be upset about it? Should we, uh, you know, go up in arms? No, all I'm telling you is this. We ought to redeem the time. You know, what, something that uh, uh, has been a theme in our home, my wife and, and myself with our family, and I hope it becomes a theme for Verity Baptist Church is this. We don't have a day to waste. We've got to redeem the time. The days are evil. Notice Psalm 90 and verse 12. Here the psalmist says this. He says, so teach us to number our days. Teach us to be mindful of how many days we have left on this earth. He says, teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. See, when you walk wisely, you walk wisely regarding your testimony of them which are without but you also walk wisely regarding redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. In Psalm 39, the Bible says this, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as in handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best day is altogether vanity. 
And Paul says this. Here's what Paul says. Go, go back to Ephesians 5, and we'll finish up. Paul says, I know, I know that you are a child of God. And I'm looking at this group here, and I'm saying, I know you are a child of God. I, at least I hope you are a child of God. I know you're saved. I know you've called upon Christ for salvation. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord for it. But just because you are a child of God does not mean that you are conducting yourself as a child of God. Does not mean that you are living like a child of God. Does not mean that you are walking like a child of God. So then the reasonable question would be, well, what, how does a child of God walk? And Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. Because you ought to walk in love. But what does that mean? In sacrifice, in separation. You ought to live separated from the world, not to keep some sort of uh, you know, fundamentalist agenda, but just because you love the Lord. And you ought to walk in light, not hiding anything. Because light approves that which is right, and light reproves that which is evil. And you ought to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom regarding your testimony. It, you ought to care about what your extended family thinks of you. You ought to care about what your neighbors think of you. You ought to care about what your co-workers think of you. And I realize that there are the enemies of the Lord out there and they're reprobates out there and they're going to hate us no matter what we do. I understand that. But generally speaking, you ought to care about your testimony. By the way, that's why I think Christians ought to pay their bills on time. That's why I think Christians ought to show up to work on time. That's why I think Christians shouldn't cut out of work early and shouldn't take extended breaks. That's why it, it ought to matter to you what you, your, your co-workers think of you. Because you are supposed to represent a child of God. And you know, in your job, your boss, you know, for those of you that work out in the world and you work out you know, in the secular world, the testimony that your boss ought to have of you is this. That guy is odd. That guy is a little weird. I mean, that guy goes to church even during lockdowns and he goes soul winning and he, and he does these things. And I don't know, he's kind of, you know, he, he has some weird beliefs. But I'll tell you what, I'd hire him all day, every day, and I'll hire all of his friends. And that's what they ought to think of Christians. They ought to think their testimony, their beliefs are weird, but their testimonies are great. They walk in light and they walk in love and they walk in wisdom. And here's what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, if you love each other, one another, they'll know that you're my disciple. He says, if you let your light so shine before men, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If you walk in wisdom, they'll say, there goes a child of God. So how are you doing? Now I want you to answer that out loud. But how are you doing on the checklist? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in light? Are you walking in wisdom? Are you walking as a child of God? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to break down these 17 verses. Thank you for the fact that the Apostle Paul broke down this idea of walking and what it means to walk as a child of God. And Lord, however this sermon hits, I pray you'd help us to work in that. If we need to work on our walk in love, Lord, I pray you'd help us. We've got to work on how we sacrifice or how we separate. We've got to work on our walk in light. I pray you'd help us with that. We've got to work on our walk in wisdom regarding our testimony or redeeming our time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live like a child of God. And we realize that we don't have to live like a child of God to be a child of God. But it is your desire 
that we let our light so shine before men, they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for allowing us to be a child of God. We ask that you would help us to walk as dear children of God. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.